Good morning, everybody. I hope everybody's doing well. Welcome to the day. Excited to be back with you again. I hope and pray that you guys are getting from this. I know I am. That the opportunity to be together is huge for me. So thank you so much for tuning in. We've been talking a lot about happiness. And the reason why we're doing this slowly and not quickly is because life is like a cup of coffee. It is meant to be sipped, not gulped. And when you do, when you get into topics that have the risk of being gulped, there's a risk of us just digesting it quickly and not really getting into ourselves. Happiness is one of those. It makes sense. It's very difficult. So we got to like really spend the time and understand it from all the different angles so that by the time we're done together, which will never be fully done, but at least the time we spend together, it will become almost intuitive to us, I hope. Yesterday, we discussed this idea that materialism and the pursuit of a materialistic accomplishment is, could be a big trap for our happiness. Now, the pursuit of meaningful goals is exactly one of the ways you become happy, and we'll get there. But what ends up happening is we begin our lives with this sense of this innate happiness. And for many of us, it gets replaced with a striving for something objective, right? You're going for something. You're going for a grade or you're going for a, a victory or you're going for an acceptance letter or you're going for social acceptance. Right? There's something in our world that we want and we either are convinced without, I'm not saying this takes place deliberately, we're convinced by others or we convince ourselves that if I really want to be happy, then I want to get the thing. Now, what happens then is we start to assume that the happiness that we're looking for is right over the hill. And it's not. So therefore, when you get over the hill and you digest the thing that you get, there's a momentary pleasure, but it's not real lasting happiness. And so as opposed to saying this whole thing doesn't make sense, we go, oh, it must be that my, my sights weren't high enough. But the whole system is broken. Here's why. Because what ends up happening is you end up having long periods of lack of happiness followed by short bursts of high levels of happiness, right? As opposed to it being like a, the way our brain works, right? We've been doing this. Our brain works through consistency. So if you have a choice of having like two days of inspiration and a six months of no inspiration, you're not going to stay inspired. Your brain will not adapt around it. Your brain's neuroplastic. It lives and breathes off consistency. I can't learn a language by parachuting into a country for two days. Even if all I do is hear the language, it's not how my brain works. I have to be living somewhere for a long time and slowly and slowly I adapt to it. So why would I think it would work with other areas of my brain? Why would it work if I jump into a, a new job? Why would it, do I think it worked if I would jump into any aspects of my life? I have to do it consistently. That's a big issue, issue when it comes to religion. People think that they jump into something for a few days 
then they sort of have it. No, it's really the consistency that brings it. So now if, you, now if we analyze it together, here's the problem. You've got long periods of normal feelings of unhappiness. It feels normal to be unhappy for long periods of time because you're striving towards something bigger. And so what happens is we condition ourselves to be less than happy, right? It's normal for a person to walk around their day and not be empowered, not be joyous, even though those are two different things, not be happy. These are emotions that are normal to not feel consistently because we think that when I get to that hill, I'll feel it. And maybe when you're a child, it's a grade. Maybe when you're an adult, it's a vacation or a weekend or a bonus, right? When I get to something that I'm not in, that I'm going to feel the thing I want to feel. But what we're doing then is we are conditioning the larger part of our days to be unhappy or less than happy. So that feels normal. And if you need proof of this, just go to any place in the world and you see this one guy or one woman who's like really happy and they, they feel, they seem off. Good morning. You're like, you okay? Like you're not supposed to say it like that. You're supposed to be like, good morning. Like, you know, how's, how's life? Life's awesome. For those who come on the trip, we do this. How's life? Life's, you go to someone, they say, how's life? And they go, awesome. You're like, what are you on? Like they look, they sound off. Because we've conditioned ourselves ourselves to just think life is okay. It's such a crazy thing that we've managed to figure out how to make life less happy in pursuit of something. Because that's what we're focusing on, the, the, the not having. And then when we allow ourselves to be happy, we feel guilty because we think we're losing our hunger. Like we have a value on that person who has his head down and is working and like paying to get what he wants. It's, it's just how we've bought into the way the world works. And we don't even know like there's another way. We think like either you're on vacation and you're, you've, dis, it, you, you've disentangled yourself from your life doing nothing or you're doing the work and the work can't be happy. And now we're stuck because most of our life is here. This is research done by um, Baylor University where they interviewed 250 people published in the Journal of Personality and Individual Differences. What they found that the more materialistically focused somebody is, the less happy they are in their lives because their focus, remember you only can focus on very few things at any given time. That's the schema that we spoke about earlier in, in, in the season that we're in together. So if your schema focuses on something, right, then if your schema is always focused on what you don't have, that's why you're getting it, then you just get used to focusing on what you don't have. You see how you, you see how we, see the trap? It's incredible, right? It's like a trap. By focusing on what we don't have, thinking that we have to get it, we now spend time focusing on what we don't have. So we spend most of our time focusing on things that we don't have. So most of our focus 
is in the negative. So as a result, those who are more materialistically driven are usually constantly focusing on things that they don't have. So their most of their life is the conditioning of not being happy. Unbelievable, unbelievable trap of which so many of us live so much of our lives in because we're sold that like when you get the thing, then you'll make it. Now, let's go one step deeper. If you remember earlier, we spoke about the self-determination theory. Remember, one of those is significance. So this applies a lot when you're in the world of that mentality. If you are significance-driven, meaning you need to feel significant in the eyes of others to feel valuable. Now watch how this works. If you need to feel significant in the eyes of others to feel valuable to yourself, if significance is being defined by the trophy of the local micro community that you live in, right? If you're not defining significance by what you're giving, but by what you're taking, that means the trophy, that means you're striving for a trophy, not even to be happy. You're striving for a trophy to feel valuable. Now watch how that works now. So for the most of your life, not only do you feel unhappy, you feel unvaluable, not invaluable. You feel less than valuable. You feel unworthy. That A, that school, that house size, that corner office, that whatever the thing is that you're looking for. It could be something even spiritual. It could be religious. It could be you getting a, a position in a, in, a, in, a, in a synagogue. It could be you get a position in a nonprofit. I don't know. It doesn't have to be corporate Wall Street. If you're being driven towards a trophy as a method and as a mechanism to determine your own life value, that means most of the time you're spending, you're spending in, in an area where you're searching for something to find your value, which means most of it you're spending in the feeling of lack of being fully valuable. It's part of why I think when you look at very successful people, if they're not worked them, if they haven't worked themselves out, the success only hurts them. That's why the percentage of lottery winners and their happiness is in the dumps. People think, let me win the lottery and life will be good. Most people who win the lotteries, their lives mess up afterwards because they're not capable of handling that much money. So they have all these friends that they never had before. They spend all this money in a way that, that is unhealthy and they will end up with less after they blow it and then they have all that regret. Like It's a disaster. They haven't built a vessel. Guys, by the way, that happens with success all the time. We just can't see it as much. The person becomes the you know, figure too early in life. You see this, I don't even want to get into the, the details of this because people get very touchy when you get into these worlds. But like, you see people, celebrities, politicians, they become successful early in their lives and they're not capable of it yet. They can't handle it. So as a result, it breaks them. They become less than successful than they want to do. They don't do what they want. They don't accomplish what they set out to accomplish and it breaks everything down around them. And most of the time you don't see it because Everyone looks great in camera, but when you look at their lives afterwards, when you meet their children, you see real brokenness. So when you live your life 
and you're living and being driven off lack, we're going down a road that is only creating a vessel that's filled with holes. So even if we end up pouring the right water in afterwards, whether it's the success or the whatever the thing that we're looking for to bring us happiness, it's just not coming into the right vessel. But here's, here's where it goes, gets even crazier. So I'm gonna read you a quote. I'm gonna post this quote on the, the chat on Zoom. Andy, if you don't mind taking it and posting it on Facebook, and for those who want it, just email me, charlie at charlieharari.com, and I will send it to you in your email. Here's the quote. It's from a man named Sean Anker, who was a professor in Harvard. He wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. Here's what he writes. Most people believe that once they become successful, then they'll be happy. But recent discoveries in the field of positive psychology and neuroscience have shown that this formula is actually backwards. Happiness fuels success, not the other way around. When we are positive, our brains are more engaged, creative, motivated, energetic, resilient, and productive at work. This isn't an empty mantra. This discovery has been repeatedly borne out, of, out by rigorous research in psychology and neuroscience, management studies, and bottom lines of organizations around the globe. So here's this concept that he's bringing up, which is powerful, which is not only is the I'll be happy when I achieve approach towards life leaving us with ourselves conditioning ourselves to be less than happy, right? Just think about the time that we're conditioning the unhappiness. It goes even further is that the more time we're unhappy, actually the less successful we have. So watch how this whole thing breaks down. If we feel like the lack of happiness is because we want to get something to make us happy, well, the lack of unhappiness is actually making it harder to get that thing. So the whole like hungry, meaning unhappy, if I'm happy, then I'm done. That whole thing is not only robbing us of our lives today, it's actually robbing us of our futures. They did this study with doctors where they split them up into three groups. And one group they had prepared for simulated surgery. Now one group they gave um, journals to prepare themselves for surgery. So they were, they were trained doctors. They weren't learning this for the first time. So if you're already trained, you know what you're doing. Now you're, you're ready to do it, right? So now you're prepped. So what do you do in the room before the surgery starts? So for a third, they gave journals. So read through it one more time. For a third, they left them alone. And for a third, they had music and candy, and they, they worked to just make them feel happy. Just happiness. Pump up music and bantering. And, and what they found was that the happy group performed the surgery 50% more accurately and more and faster than the other groups. They did a study on children and with blocks to figure out which kids would, even if in a young age, who would perform tasks better. Same thing. The happier the group, obviously after a level of proficiency, you can't be like rocking and rolling into surgery. Be like, what's this thing? Is this a scalpel? Like, and then you rock it out. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. 
it's this idea that when you're going to do something, when you do something in a happy state, you get more connected. But they did, they did, I want to re- go through two different s- studies that were just flowings. One is called the, the Duchin, I hope I'm getting this right, the Duchin um, smile. So here's, here's what they did, okay? Um, researchers, I'm trying to figure out who they are. I had their name. Oh, here they are. Okay. University of California at Berkeley. Two researchers, uh, Kelter and Harker. What they did was something fascinating. Okay. This is a longitudinal study. So this means it took place over long periods of time. And sometimes when that happens, like people pick it up along the way. So there's multiple researchers that sort of inherit the stuff and keep it going. So they went back, this is, this took place, I believe in the nineties. I'm not sure when it is, but I'm sure Andy's looking it up as we speak when they did the study. Um, they looked back into the 1960s at a, a yearbook and there was like 150 somewhat um, pictures, all women. And they found that out of all the pictures, everyone was smiling except for like three people. And they, they went through each of their smiles and in each of the smiles they tried to distinguish them between what they call a duchin smile which is a real smile which is like you know that your mouth the corner of your mouth goes up a little bit your eyes crinkle like you can't fake that so that's called a duchin smile like it's like you know your eyes are, you know it's like you're you're really smiling and what they call the pan-american smile pan-america was i believe an airline and you'll tell me if it was or not. I think it was an airline. And in my mind, it was like, if you look at those, like, um, like the stewardesses back in those days, they were like, you know, Pan Am, right? Pan Am, right? Pan American was an airline, right? Pan Am, I knew Pan Am. Like, you know, those, like, you know, the ladies, like, like, they're, they're like Barbie doll, like the fake smile, like, you know, like the Miss America smile, you know, like the fake one. Hi, how are you? So like, they, they split the, the people up, if you can imagine this between those who had a real smile, I guess using uh, the metric of happiness by someone who can smile. Remember your pictures, right? Like take it, like, you know, 10 pictures and hopefully you get one that works and the ones that give them fake smiles. And they use it as a metric of people of levels of happiness. And then they followed them. So they, they did this, let's say they looked back to the 1960s. So let's say that was like 30 years before they did the study and they called them up and see, seeing what their life was like. And then they followed them, I think, three times. So they called them up, and then they called them up, you know, five years or 10 years later, and they called up 10 years later afterwards. So you're talking about, you know, 40 some odd years between the 17 year old snapped picture and your whole life or lots of your life. What they found that the people that had that net, that positive smile had a higher likelihood of being married, staying married having a positive marriage and achieving higher levels of well-being. What they started to realize from this study was that the happiness that somebody has is not the result of it. Oh, hold on. Oh, great. Denise, we have someone who's a Pan Am flight attendant. So Denise, I mean, everyone but you. I am sure that you were, I'm sure that your smile was always and is always real. So thanks for that. It's pretty cool that we have someone on that was a Pan Am flight attendant. That's phenomenal. I love this. 
let me just finish this point, but I'm so happy Denise jumped in. Um, what, what they're finding and what we're going to talk about tomorrow and really delve into more studies until we see it from every angle of the science is that the happiness that somebody has is actually the process of the success. This is actually research from the Mayo Clinic where they found that people with a positive attitude had, I think, a 19% chance here, 19%, I'm looking at the study right now, optimists live 19% longer than pessimists, Mayo Clinic, right? So this idea that we're waiting to be happy is actually preventing us from the success that we want. The ability to become more energetic, happy, positive, optimistic is actually going to get us the success that we're striving for, not the other way around. Okay, how, why, that's what we're talking about. So we'll continue this again. We're going to save the daily Q&A for Friday again, um, but we'll just continue just with this piece. I want to just flow with that one theme, um, but we'll continue talking about this for all those that are that are posting, continue doing so. If you're watching this on Facebook, Andy, please put all of the um, comments. You can always watch this afterwards on demand on my YouTube page, on Twitter, on uh, LinkedIn, and on Instagram. Thanks so much for joining me today, and with God's help, I cannot wait to see you again tomorrow.